0: April 22nd, May 13th, June 3rd, June 24th. These dates ringing any bells? Well, they might if you're an Ontario angler because these dates are all the different fishy openers we have across the province. Of course, these dates may vary depending on where you are in the province, but here in Southern Ontario, these dates are celebrated across all time tables. With these days fast approaching, Drift Outfitters and Fly Shop in downtown Toronto is the place to go to get ready for trout, walleye, pike, muskie, bass of the small and largemouth variety. Yes, Drift Outfitters has you totally covered for all your upcoming fishing needs. Stop by the store to chat with the experts themselves and learn how to catch the fish you're after. Or shop online at driftoutfitters.com and enjoy coast-to-coast-to-coast shipping on all the best products. Find them at 199 Queen Street East in Toronto or online at driftoutfitters.com.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of SoFly. It is uh, May 10th and we're recording another episode. Uh, I've got myself, Mitch. We've got Idis. Howdy. We've got Yelma. There's no Aldo. Yeah, I know. Aldo's not here today. Uh, He's, uh, I don't know what he's doing. He's busy doing some kind of Aldo stuff. Who knows what, who knows what keeps that guy busy, huh? Uh, anyway, we're really excited to be chatting with the special guests we have on the show today. Uh, Steve Raymond has been fishing the trout, steelhead, and salmon waters of the Pacific Northwest for more than 50 years. He's also spent much of that time writing about fishing in those places. Uh, he's the author of many fly fishing books, including his most recent book, Six Fish Limit. He's worked as an editor and manager at the Seattle Times, as well as two fly fishing magazines, The Fly Fisher and Fly Fishing at Saltwaters. Now he's retired, uh, and Steve and his wife, Joan, live in Whidbey Island in Puget Sound, Washington. But today, he is on SoFly. Steve, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on,
2: man. Where So whereabouts are you calling in from today? From Clinton, Washington on the south end of Woodby Island, Puget Sound. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. How's the weather out there? It's good for a change. <laughs> How is it back there? Yeah, it's,
1: <laughs> it's beautiful out here. Yeah, we're in Toronto and it's like uh, summer weather. It's like 20 degrees out and sunny.
2: Yeah, I don't know what that translates into in the Fahrenheit, but it sounds warm.
1: Right. Fahrenheit. Right, <laughs> yes, it's warm. Yeah, that's the, That's right. We got the American Fahrenheit to Celsius thing going on. Uh, it's nice and warm, it's toasty, and it's, uh, it's feeling good. So it's very nice that we've made it out of the winter because it was pretty brutal and long. But uh, yeah, have you been uh, fishing at all uh, lately?
2: Uh, unfortunately, I haven't. I'm too darned old to fish anymore. It's been four yeah. years since I last had a fly rod in my hand. Oh
1: man, that's that's kind of that's got to be kind of uh, kind of tricky considering you've fished for so many years, eh?
2: Yeah, it's uh, not pleasant. My son carries on for me as best he can, and uh, I vicariously enjoy his fishing trips.
1: Nice, I love it. Yeah, that's pretty fun. And plus, you still write, right? That's, you're still writing. I mean, Six Fish Limit just came out in March, I believe, right?
2: Yes, and I just finished another book. Uh, uh, it's actually not all my book. I collaborated with Paul Shillery, the uh, angling historian or fly fishing historian. And we finished a book together just about a month ago.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, what, what, what's that book about? Can you say yet, or is it like under undercover?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I could tell you a little bit about that, uh, Paul, as you may know, has probably written at least 40 books, not all of them are fly fishing. Uh, But some of his have been on fly fishing, and they've been important books. And uh, we've been Internet friends for years. We've only met face-to-face once. But uh, he's one of my closest friends now, thanks to the Internet. And we decided, because of all the uh, fishermen that I've met in my life, he said they wanted to write their own book someday. We decided we'd write a book about how to write a fly fishing book. And, oh, cool. Uh, That's kind of a good <laughs> idea. I hope it's a good idea. Uh, anyway, we tried to <laughs> I think, uh, tried to give them a, a good Mitchell formula. Read it. Uh, just in the hands yeah. of a publisher now, and we're waiting for a verdict.
1: I love that. How to write a fly fishing book. Okay, well, I definitely want to talk more about that and just, you know, your writing and stuff like that in general. Because, I mean, yeah, like uh, you've written quite a few books over the years. How many, what's the total number of books you've written uh, right up to now?
2: Uh, this one that I just finished makes 14. All oh, but one of those is okay. about
1: fly fishing. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Wow.
2: Okay, well, uh, before
1: we talk about maybe your writing and fly fishing writing, why don't we just go back to, uh, you know, the beginning of your fishing, fly fishing life. How did you get into fly fishing did you grow up in uh the area like wh- where in the pacific northwest did you grow up
2: i was born in bellingham which is uh, pretty close to the canadian border okay and my earliest memory of my father was when i was five years old and he came home from fighting in world war ii wow. one of the first things he wanted to do when he got home was go fishing because he'd done a lot of fishing before the war and uh he took me along up to Big Bar Lake in British Columbia that's where I hooked my first trout and we made a number of other trips together was while I was growing up but his career took him away much of the time uh but as I got older I fished more by myself and I had some uh some very good mentors who taught me a lot about fishing. One of them was Enos Brandner, who was the outdoor editor of the Seattle Times. He was a much older man than I was. He'd written three fly fishing books, but we got acquainted and uh, as he got older and I got older, he became almost a surrogate father to me after my own father passed away. And he taught me a lot about steelhead and trout and salmon, and a lot about tying flies and what flies to tie and so forth. Then I had another uh, mentor, uh, Letcher Lambeth. That's a name that's not often heard these days, but he was pretty well known then. Uh, he was blind at that time. He was an old man, but he was one of the few bamboo rod builders who ever built spiral bamboo rods. And I never spiral. Wow. Yeah, he had a formula that he created where he would build a rod and turn the, uh, the, each, each section of the rod uh, one-sixth of a turn between the, uh, the guides of the rod. Uh, okay. So there would be, sure. be six on the, the butt section and six on the tip section, he made two-piece rods. And he had done some calculating, which he claimed showed that the, uh, doing a rod that way made it 11% stronger than if you just did a straight boot up rod. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have one of his rods that was built back in 1935, and it has probably the smoothest wow. action of any fly rod I've ever held in my hand. And he He's, was. Uh, that's cool. He uh, uh, was the first to actually go out and take samples and classify the insects of Northwest trout stream insects and tied flies to match the insects that he he captured and he uh, corresponded a lot with Preston Jennings who was probably the leading fly tying author of the early 20th century and he made all of his own tackle that was his philosophy he taught himself how to crochet and instead of using yarn, he used sail twine, and he crocheted the uh, creels. And the spaces between the stitches oh, wow. and the crocheting let the water circ, or the the air circulating out of the uh, the creel, that kept the fish fish fresh inside. Yep. And he made hmm. one of the first fishing vests ever made, maybe even the first. Nobody really knows. And tied many flies. Uh, probably his best known fly was Lambus Candlefish. He was named after the uh, Civil War governor of Virginia. His first name was actually Benjamin. And his middle name was Letcher, and he always went by that name. He was a remarkable man. And the other netter I had was Ralph Wall, who was one of the great pioneer steelhead fly fishers. The Pacific Northwest uh,
1: yeah.
2: also a great photographer and he had two books to his credit and he taught me an awful lot about steelhead fly fishing in fact I was with him uh, the day I caught my first steelhead and, oh, that's uh, cool so I also uh, at the age of 12 found a copy of Roderick Hague Brown's book the river never sleeps my father's fishing library that book changed my life Uh, not only because of what it said but how it said it because he had such a beautiful writing Mm -hmm. style that it immediately appeared to me and appealed to me and uh, i tried to emulate it when i started writing books Mm -hmm. and i did most of my fishing in british columbia My father had suffered a really bad injury to his right leg, so he couldn't wade rivers. So that's where we fished because he liked to fish the lakes, fish out of boats. That's really where I learned to fly fish. Although later on of my own, I ended up fishing many rivers, uh, fishing a lot of salt water. And I discovered there's great fishing in estuaries. Most people don't think much about that. But here at Puget Sound, we have lots of them, and they have a lot of them up in B.C. too. And they're good for sea run cutthroat. Uh, I've caught lots of winter steelhead in estuaries and lots of salmon. Uh, so we've got quite a, we've got a banquet set for us up here in the northwest.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So you, you you grew up really with like some pretty incredible mentors, fly fishing, like showing you the ropes and taking you to the the water. What was it about fly fishing that, you know, had you interested, um, at a young age, like what was it about the the sport that got you kind of like hooked, I guess, as they say?
2: Uh, well, that's a tough question. You know, I guess the the easiest answer is I just love it. Uh, it's become my passion. There's something about going out into the wild and matching wits with a wild creature or matching instincts, trying to uh, fool him into taking whatever fly you've tied and then give him his freedom back after you've caught him or her, in case it's a female. Uh, (laughs) It's what I've done most of my life. And I'm grateful for the opportunity.
0: How does it feel now as, a, as an author to be able to pass this on to younger generations?
2: Well, I, I hope that's some of what my books do. I, I've tried to uh, uh, write in most of my books about things that uh, many people don't really notice when they're out fishing, you know, they get so preoccupied with what they're doing, they forget to look at what's going on around them and pick up some of the right. subtle clues that can help them when they're fishing and appreciate the beauty of the outdoors and all the wild creatures we share with. Uh, I think that's a very big part of fishing. It's part of mm-hmm. what got me wrapped up in it. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, like taking that time to just appreciate your surroundings, right? And, and soak up nature as opposed to just focusing on catching fish all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When so when did you begin writing? Like how did the writing uh, career start off for you?
2: Well, I started writing right after I learned to read. It just seemed to follow naturally. <laughs> yeah. And I, I started writing stories when I was in school, some of which got me in trouble. Uh, I had one teacher who predicted that I would become either a novelist or an editor. She got one of them yeah. right anyway, uh, and it, it wow. just seemed like the path of least least resistance to me. It came naturally to me, and I enjoyed doing For it. Sure, and yeah. so when I went to the University of Washington, I majored in journalism, became editor of the student newspaper there, raised all kinds of journalistic hell, came pretty close to getting expelled, <laughs> uh, yeah. but I also made a reputation with the local newspapers, ended up working for them for 30 years for one of them. Wow. Uh, and my, my first book came from the experience I had fishing for the Kamloops trout up in British Columbia, because I wanted to learn more about okay. them. I was surprised to find that uh, there was really nothing in the popular print about Kamloops trout. But I had access to the University of Washington Fisheries Library. And I started thumbing through all of their journals, reports, and found out that the Campbell's trout had been very thoroughly studied by biologists in B.C. There was a wealth of information in the technical journals, and I absorbed that like a sponge. And after a while, it occurred to me that uh, it, it would be selfish to hold on to all that information for myself. That led to the idea of a book. Uh, and that was my first book, uh, Angler's Study of the Catlip's Strout. After that, everything just flowed naturally, I guess.
1: So what went into that first book, like, in terms of, I mean, that's got to be a lot of, like, research. And was it hard? Did you find writing that first book to be a difficult task, or did it kind of just flow naturally?
2: Well, at the time I wrote it, I was a, a newspaper reporter it was my primary livelihood and the book was just another kind of reportage uh, because i was relaying a lot of information but it did require a lot of research too i spent a lot of time up in british columbia visiting fishing camps uh, accompanying biologists and some of their projects so forth made some lifelong friends in the process and caught a lot of fish so it was wasn't just a labor; it was a labor of love.
1: Yeah, true. Yeah, you got to actually fish and enjoy it, and turn it into a book. I mean, was great. Did was it hard finding that first publisher, or uh, how did that how did that kind of process work?
2: Well, I was ambitious enough to try selling the book to uh, some of the big, what I call meta publishers, uh, and I got right. two or three rejection slips right off of the bat. But one of my close friends, uh, Alan Pratt, who was the chief editorial cartoonist at the Seattle Times, and also a, a great fly fisher, one of the funniest men I ever knew, uh, he had just finished doing illustrations for a book written by a, a writer down in Oregon who had it published, and he gave me his name and phone number, so I called him up and asked him how he went about it. And he told me. And the book that pub or the publisher that published his book was Winchester Press, which was just brand new then. So I queried them and they bought the book. That's cool. And they became my my first publisher. That's awesome. I
1: like That's that. awesome. And then from there writing kind of just you just kind of kept going with it and, and the book Exploded. thing just kinda of kicked off and you just kept writing.
2: Yeah, that's pretty much how I work. Still doing yeah, it, or trying
0: awesome. to. Yeah. <laughs> so, I am curious, it's after you were kind of had some success as a writer and were still an avid angler, did it like did it change your perspective on fly fishing uh, to more of like through the eyes of an author versus just as someone who's just doing the activity?
2: Well, I think one way it they've changed me a little bit is I soon found out that writers about fly fisher have an enormous amount of power and they have to be careful about how they use it because you can destroy a place by writing about it And yeah. if you do write about a place that's yeah. fragile and, and uh, subject to being overrun by people you have to do it in a very cautious way and try to make them Feel the responsibility that they have for it too. Right. Uh, some writers mm-hmm. don't do that. And I think uh, we see the consequences of that, unfortunately, in a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. So I've always tried to be cautious about that and uh, tell them that th- those places are not free. They're not just for you, they're shared by everybody. And yeah, exactly. keep, to keep them, we have to protect them. Mm -hmm. I think that was one of the, one of the things about writing that might have changed by original perspective.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing when like, um, when a kind of a a hobby or an interest that you're passionate in starts becoming your livelihood, it kind of seems like can it can change your perspective on it for better or for worse in some situations. Right.
1: Yeah, did the job of writing ever kind of, uh, like, did the fun of, I guess, fly fishing ever, did the job be overtake, I guess, the fun of it ever in your life? Or has it always just been, this is awesome?
0: I can't wait for this uh, answer. I'm intrigued.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how to answer that. Uh, I love, I love <laughs> both. Uh, and I have to give a lot of credit to my wife, my wife, Joan. Uh, she fished by herself even before we met, and she became a, yeah. an excellent fly fisher. And we fished together all the time until our children came. And then she uh, willingly took over management of them and let me go fishing, which is, <laughs> I think, more than I deserve or more than any man deserves. But uh, we've had a wonderful life together. Our 60th anniversary is coming right up. And uh, wow. she hasn't fished in a long time, but I'm sure she could pick up a fly rod and take care of herself right now. if She wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. Yeah,
0: that's awesome.
1: Um, let's talk a little bit about six fish limit. Um, maybe just for those listening at home, like, can you just sort of set up what the book is about and um, some of the some of the stories that people can find in it?
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, first of all, what inspired that book? if you want to use the word inspired is uh the pandemic because in the early days of the yeah. pandemic we were hunkering down and probably ever going out and i was starting to get uh, almost stir crazy because we hadn't been doing anything so i thought well why yeah. not write another book to entertain myself and maybe in the process yeah. entertain others had caught in the same circumstances so that's mm-hmm. how it got started uh, there are six stories in the book which accounts for its title Six Fish Limit the five of them are short stories two of them pretty darn short one of them is a novella it's, uh, I think it's about 82 pages long so it's pretty really just a short novel uh, hmm. the first story goes back to a fishing trip I made with an attorney years ago and he was telling me about a client he had who uh, was in a dispute with the Internal Revenue Service because this particular client uh, wrote for a fish, fly fishing magazines, and it cost mm-hmm. money to make trips. So he tried to uh, to uh, dis- declare the, uh, the expenses of a fishing trip as a business right. expense and yeah. his account his account went along with that but the Internal Revenue Service didn't and I thought there's got to be a story in that somewhere it took me a long time to figure out how, how to write it and so the first story in the book is called The Bone Fisherman's Dilemma and it's about a young man who uh, takes a trip to Sugar Cay Bonefish Resort which is a fictional place and plans to write a story and sell it to a fly fish magazine to pay some of the trip expenses. But he didn't count on having too much rum to drink, uh, falling asleep <laughs> in a hot tub, and managing to lose the only bonefish he hooked. So he didn't have a story and there was no income. And now he's involved in a acrimonious fight with his tax accountant because he thinks The trip expenses should still be deductible, but she disagrees. And their situation gets angrier and angrier until almost at the deadline for filing income tax returns, he comes up with a very novel way of deriving some income from his experience, which allows him, presumably, to uh, deduct his Traveling expenses. And I would suggest that nobody try to do this in real life.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I did it this year. <laughs> no, Yoma, you're on the
2: air. <laughs>
1: awesome. Just kidding. Sugar K Resort sounds like an awesome fishing place, if it were real. Yeah. It sounds like it'd yeah. be very fishy.
2: Well, a <laughs> few other things go on while you're, while you're there. Uh, the, yeah. the second the second story of the book is called the Welcome to, this, to the Stub Mountain Fly Shop. I'd already, already, always wanted to write a story about a fly shop, even though i never worked in one. I've certainly spent plenty of time in lots of different fly shops. And I thought yep. uh, it might make it more interesting if the owner of this one was a woman. And in yep. this case, the woman uh, just inherited the, fly shop from her father, who was a fly tire, and had turned her into one, too. And the shop was in financial trouble, and she was trying to figure out a way to keep it afloat. And she comes up with a pretty novel scheme uh, based on the premise that if, if flies work on trout, they should work just as easily on trout fishermen. And to uh, make a long story short, Uh, their their scheme against all odds becomes a a great success and the story well I won't reveal the ending but when I started writing the story I didn't really I didn't really know where I was gonna where I was gonna go it just seemed to evolve Mm -hmm. by itself and I think the ending was as much of a surprise to me as it might have been to the people who read it. The the next story is about the world's first genetically modified fly fisherman. You you hear so much these days about (laughs) things being genetically modified. We even have have had uh, genetically modified uh, hackles for fly time. Well, in this case, this case uh, was the first One whose genes were altered to make him a fly fisherman, which worked very well, except as he grew older, he started to behave a little strangely. And it turned out that he had a a, a different type of dyslexia. He thought every fish he caught was bigger than it really was. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's what I do. Yeah, that's, yeah a that, great, that's a great a lot, insight. That's a, a great lot, insight. Lot of, a lot of people do that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. the story comes to a rather unhappy ending, but uh, I think it's worth reading anyhow. Yeah. After, after that, uh, it's the Diary of an Unknown Angler. I've always been fascinated by the story of uh, Theodore Gordon's young fly-fishing woman, fly-fishing companion. Uh, Theodore Gordon probably isn't as well-known today as he used to be, but Hmm. he wrote a great many stories for a great many magazines and so forth. And in all of his writings, he devoted only two paragraphs to this woman whose name has since been lost to history. Uh, There are two photos of them fishing together, but uh, his her name, is, as I say, has still been lost. So I cooked up a story about uh, a fly fisherman who owns a fishing bookstore, and in a bunch of old books he just bought from a retiring antique dealer, he comes across a diary, which turns out to be the diary of Theodore Gordon's fishing companion. So long last, we'd finally find out what was really going on between those two. And, awesome. Uh, where am I going with this? Uh,
1: Who doesn't love a good fly fishing romance, you know? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I no, do. Anything romantic,
2: I'll take. That's not exactly what it turned out to be, but. <laughs> oh no! Well, don't give it away! Don't give it away. <laughs> the the, uh, the bookstore owner hopes that by revealing what really happened between those two, he might become as become as famous as Theodore Gordon himself. But doesn't turn out that way. You have to read the story to find out how it does. Uh, awesome. The longest story in the book, the novella, is. Uh, Called the Man of Black Waders, and it's about the most famous fly fisherman in the world. His name is Clint Steele, except that's really just a stage name for a professional fly fisher. His real name was Melvin Bluffel, and he's, <laughs> he's he's being sued by a retired teacher. He wrote a single fly fishing book, and claims that that uh, uh, Clint Steele plagiarized almost all of his words in a book that he wrote. And most of the story uh, relates what happened in the trial of Clint Steele and the verdict, which I won't mention, uh, but it ends in a rather surprising finish. And The reason I wrote that story was because as editor of two fly-fishing magazines, I became acutely aware that plagiarism is not all that uncommon in fly-fishing magazines. Right. There are some people out there who lack ethics, who are afraid to hoist the copy from somebody else, put their own name on it, and send it to a magazine. Since editors can never possibly know everything that's in print some of those stories get published and what happens often is that the original author sees the story and complains of the magazine or someone who has read this original story sees it complains to the magazine and then you have a messy situation on your hands Um, one that uh, usually turns out badly for all concerned Yes, it did for Clint Steele in this case. The last story of the book, also a very short one, is the first words ever written about fly fishing. Most Angling historians agree now that those words were written by the Roman scribe, or some people call him a poet, Claudius Elianus. And they start with this sentence, I have heard of a Macedonian way of fishing, and it is this. Well, I wondered, I've wondered, always wondered where Claudius Aelianus heard those words. And I thought, yeah. where have I heard about all the places that I fish? Well, at my local fly fishing club, of course. Mm-hmm. So I conjured up the Angler's Club of Rome, and uh, they had a guest speaker <laughs> awesome. who who just back from Macedonia who uh, told about catching all those fish on a, uh, what was crudely a, a form of fly fishing and maybe even dry fly fishing. Yeah. If I do say so myself, it's a pretty funny story. Yeah, it <laughs> sounds amazing. <laughs> the
1: Fly Fishing Club of Rome, that's, that's yeah. great. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, what a, what a clever, you know, collection of stories. I yeah. mean, that's pretty, uh, it's very I can see how it definitely helped maybe get through the pandemic and, and take some of the, the boringness out of, uh, you know, all of that.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen the book?
1: Yeah, yes. we have a copy of Six Fish Limit, yeah. And, um, and uh, I yeah. was
0: wondering, is your, the illustrator that you worked with back in the 40s, was it, uh, or 50s, uh, did he illustrate the book? Because that would be pretty cool and nice little full circle. Yeah. But I'm assuming yeah. he didn't.
2: <laughs> it was wasn't the same illustrator, but yeah. now that you mentioned it, uh, Al Hassel who did do the the cover uh, mm-hmm. lives in Ontario. Oh, uh, oh wow! And he, he's I love done the cover. covers for two or three of my books, and we've become uh, long distance friends over the internet too. I've always yeah. admired mm-hmm. his his work. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's awesome.
1: He's in Ontario. Wow. Look at that. Small world. Very small. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Terrace Bay.
1: Yeah. What has been the most uh, rewarding thing about writing for you over the years?
2: Well, uh, I'm always, it, it always pleases me when someone tells me that they've read my books and enjoyed them because that's why i wrote them um i think that's that's the best part of it and it's always the pleasure too when a book comes right off the press and you can actually hold it in your hands yeah see the results of all your work yeah
1: yeah absolutely that's got to be such a yeah kind of uh Finally seeing all the printed word, all the words printed on paper, you know, from, from mm-hmm. your head. It's, yeah. Finally, like in print, that's a pretty cool feeling. I would imagine.
2: It's cool. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what, um, okay. So six fish limit, you've got all kinds of other books. Do you have any book in your kind of repertoire that stands out as like one of your favorites of all time that you've written? Um, do There's, you have one that stands above the rest?
2: Well, probably my second book is my favorite. It was The Year of the Angler. It right. won, won more reward awards than any of the others. But I also like its sequel, The Year of the Trout, which was published a few years later. And another one of my favorites, uh, I think my son's favorite, is uh, Rivers of the Heart. I think the final chapter of that book might be the best one I ever wrote.
1: what about that chapter strikes a chord with you
2: well it's kind of a fantasy it's called the perfect river and it's my concept of what a perfect river would be like uh, which I thought about for a long time and it kind of evolved and it gave me a chance to do the kind of lyrical writer that uh, kind of lyrical writing that I admired so much in Hague Brown's work uh that's why I like it.
1: Well, people should go read it for sure, but what is yeah. your idea of the perfect river? I'm super curious now.
2: Well, as I say, that the chapter is kind of a fantasy.
1: Yeah.
2: And it starts out by saying the, the perfect river is reached by a long, narrow path through the woods, and not many people know the way. Yeah. <laughs> the woods are like... The ones that I remember from my youth, Uh, furs so tall, they're older than the Republic itself. And uh, The trail passes through uh, sword ferns, and and I can't remember all the words, but uh, Mm -hmm. anyway, it describes the path through the river, what the river itself looks like. The kind of fish that are in the river and in this case they are summer run steelhead which I suppose are always my favorite fish uh, but there are other fish there too it's a river that famous anglers have fished and developed some of the tactics and fly patterns and other things that other fishermen use uh, it's hardly been disturbed you can see that The tracks of bear and cougar on the shores. Uh, Sometimes they pass by so recently that their tracks are still filling full of water uh, when you see them. Uh, There are ospreys and eagles. There are uh, dippers or water oozles, as they're sometimes called. Uh, And you fish it sometimes with friends, sometimes by yourself. And it seems like summer never ends on the perfect river. And you could always look up at the serrated peaks of the Cascades that are still covered with snow, Uh, describes the pools and the riffles, and how you uh, sometimes meet with your friend at the end of the day and build a driftwood fire in the river and share a couple of cups of whiskey and talk about the day's fishing, and yeah, that, in a nutshell, is my vision of the perfect river. It kind of sounds, sounds like
1: my vision of the perfect yeah, river, too. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> it's awesome. That's That sounds amazing. Yeah. I love that. It also sounds like probably the rivers that you fished a lot when you were younger as well.
2: Well, it, it is based on, the, on a lot of rivers, really, but one in particular, mm-hmm. and yeah, that was younger Younger than I am now, obviously, when I fished it. Uh, but the, uh, I'm sorry, I'm an old man, and I'm, my memory is not what it used to be. That's <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, no problem. It's all good. I mean, it sounds like an incredible place, and I can imagine it's uh, its a worth worth read, so go give that a read if you're listening to this um, 100%. But, um, yeah, no, that's amazing, Steve.
2: I remembered what I was going to say. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the perfect river uh, sounds so perfect that it, you could, it can't possibly exist. That, that's what you think Did you read the chapter. Right. Uh, but I ended the chapter by saying it does exist. It flows ever through my bloodstream and through my mind it is the rivers by heart and that's the title of the book
1: right that's awesome I love that yeah
2: it's funny yeah, so how much.
1: rivers and yeah. you know how much like fly anglers and anglers are like affected by the places that they fish you know like it mm-hmm. really does stick with you like I don't know like what it is about the places that we fish that which we, we just can't shake you know like what is it about a river that just we become so obsessed with. Mm-hmm.
2: One of the most beautiful places I've ever fished it was not a river, but a lake. It was Hosmer Lake in Oregon, which was uh,
3: okay.
2: almost a mile high in the Cascades. And back in about ni- the late 1960s, it was stocked with uh, sea run Atlantic salmon in Gaspé Bay in Quebec. And it's a gorgeous lake. Uh, It's actually two lakes in in one attached with a long, narrow channel. And the upper lake is only about three or four feet deep in most places, and it has a pumice bottom, so you could see the fish clearly from long distances. And those salmon took root in there, and there were terrific hatches of mayflies and caddisflies, other insects, and some of them grew to be six or seven pounds. And it was a perfect place to fish a dry fly, because you could see the salmon coming from 60 or 70 feet away and beat it with the dry fly, watch it come up and take the fly and take off. Those salmon ran across those shallow flats but uh, like their tails were on fire. And- <laughs> All, all this was surrounded by beautiful pine forest. Uh, there were all kinds of ospreys. You had to, sometimes they had to fight with the ospreys. They were trying to take a fish away from, <laughs> from the end of your line. Uh, and there was a, a marsh surrounding much of the lake, which had wild uh, flowers that bloomed in the spring, just gorgeous. With big snow-covered peaks always in the background Uh, and it was a wonderful place and I fished it for 40 years consecutively until it finally started to decay because it was being overrun by too many people and mismanaged by by biologists who were willing to put forth the effort to keep it the way it was but it was a famous lake Uh, I didn't make it famous it already was Yep. And I, get, I think the best description of it I ever had or ever heard was from an old friend that I met down there, Lloyd Freeze, who tied a, a fly he called the Salmon Candy that was probably the best fly for use in that lake. And he always said that he was afraid to die because he didn't think heaven could be as good as Osborne Lake. Oh, <laughs> oh that's awesome. That's cool.
1: Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's a really good way to put it. Jeez, um, I got to go see this lake. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I lived and gone to heaven.
1: <laughs> yeah, for real. Steve, do you have any, like, I don't know if you have any, you know, hopes for the future of fly fishing or, um, you know, any views on where it's heading and if you're optimistic or, you know, what what are your kind of hopes for the future of fly fishing and also just fly fishing writing?
2: Well, I'd like to be optimistic about the future of fly fishing, but it's pretty tough these days. Uh, I've seen so many of the the favorite places I've fished over the years, uh, which have been destroyed one way or another. Uh, That's certainly true of all those lakes up in British Columbia. There's still a few left up there, and some of them have Mm -hmm. protective regulations now that should preserve the fishing for at least a while. Uh, my favorite river used to be the North Fork of the Stillaguamish here in Washington because it had a terrific summer steelhead run. I still have a cabin up there that's uh, probably going to, to the vice now. And I caught lots of fish up there for a good many years, but uh, poor logging practices destroyed the tributary where the steelhead spawned, and they're almost all gone now. Uh, Osborne Lake, as I mentioned, is not worth going to anymore. You look around and you see that in so many places. The, the trout fishing in Washington State has almost all been destroyed by the introduction of, uh, non-native species and, and, and scrapfish. So right. I, I, I'm glad that I got to see some of the best of it, uh, but that's right. a selfish attitude and i try to encourage my son to go fishing more than he that he does because i don't think there's many places left where he'll be able to do very satisfactory fishing in the, in the future that's mm-hmm. a you know a pretty pessimistic outlook i've always tried to be optimistic that i think the facts in this case are otherwise and if that's true, then that also uh, casts a, a shadow on the future of fly fishing writing, because what's got to be left to write about? Uh, that's a good point.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's a really since, good point. Since my health has kept me from fishing the past four years, uh, i I don't think I've missed very much. I'm just grateful for the fun that I've had.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It seems like you're, with your writing, you've at least been able to like celebrate the beautiful things about fly fishing and being in these wild places and kind of passing that appreciation on to future generations so they can kind of work to preserve these places and not abuse them.
2: Well, I think a lot of people are trying to do that. But yeah. The problem is that there are too many people who are doing it that they're uh, right. taking the heavy toll yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah it's tricky I mean it's like times are times are tough and you know I'm always curious like what other people's perspective especially people who've fished much longer than myself you know what they what they think because you know I wasn't around back back in the day to see if these problems ever came up before and if we've dealt with them you know it seems like we're I think we're up against some interesting new kind of things, but yeah, no,
2: it's, yeah, it's tricky. You guys, you guys have got a lot of years left. and I hope you use it wisely.
1: We're going to try. There's no doubt. Yeah, we're trying. We're trying. (laughs) Definitely need to, uh, to do more to try to protect the waters we have. And, you know, I mean, yeah, it's going to be a lot more, a lot more of that, I think. But, um, yeah. Um, all right, Steve, we've got five more questions that we want to ask you right now. We ask every guest in the show these same five questions, and uh, they're just meant to be kind of fun little way to round out the show. Uh, but the first question I'm going to ask you, I kind of think I might know the answer to this, but what is your favorite fish and why? If you had to pick a favorite fish, what would it be?
2: Well, I've been asked that question many times, but <laughs> usual answer is my favorite fish is whatever one I'm fishing for at the time. That's a good way to put mm-hmm. that. <laughs>
1: I can appreciate that. It's, uh, You're a it's hard to pick Steve. a favorite fish. I thought you were going to say steelhead, to be honest, but... <laughs> I, like that's that's the, I was that's going the for easy answer. answer. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, number two is if you could fish anywhere in the world right now, let's just say you could go out and fish anywhere, and it's going to be an amazing fishing experience, where would you go?
2: That's a good question. Uh, one place I've always wanted to go, because I was invited there once, and... Never was able to take advantage yeah. of the opportunity. Is Tasmania? There's some wonderful, oh, yeah. Yeah. wonderful yeah. trout fishing in Tasmania. I've always wanted to fish That's for Atlantic. Sa- I've always wanted to fish for Atlantic salmon in, in Iceland. Never had that chance either. Oh wow! Uh, recently, oh, yeah. I I met a fellow who had just come back from fishing for sea run Arctic char in Greenland it had expect this wow. spectacular time it had the pictures to show for it there's lots yep. of places I'd love, love love to fish for steelhead in Kamchatka I never had a chance to do that either uh, yep but I'd rather not think about the places that I didn't get to <laughs> well, I'd rather <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> I mean,
0: just the places that sure. you've been
2: I, I have no it's it.
0: cool though I'm, you know.
2: I mean oh I have had the privilege of Fishing for Atlantic salmon in New Brunswick on uh, several occasions. Oh, yeah. Enjoyed that and in Scotland. Nice. And I've been to Scotland.
0: Ooh, we're in fishing, Scotland.
2: Uh, the River Dee. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, I fished I've gone to Christmas Island to fish for fish four times. And I love those oh, cool. fish. The only thing they they can't mm-hmm. do is jump. They don't take dry flies. <laughs> otherwise they're the perfect fish. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah That's
0: awesome. Uh yeah, I guess if they took dry flies, Mitch would be there all year round. Yeah, yeah. that'd be pretty
1: cool. <laughs> Bone fish on fly on dries, yeah. Wow. I mean, couldn't go wrong with Imagine. that. Imagine. There's so many cool places to go and it sounds like you've seen some really awesome ones. I'd love to go see Christmas Island and all of those places too. That's cool. Um okay the third question is what is one of your best or favorite fishing memories from all time you had to pick one fishing memory that's just like the best Mm -hmm. what would it be
2: I think it might be the day my son caught his first fish
3: oh that's awesome
2: I think he was three years old at the time he was standing next to me when I hooked a husky little trout on a six foot rod handed it to him and he Wound up the reel so fast that the fish ended up stuck in the tip-top guide. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's happened to all of us. Just so
1: excited. Where was that? Where was that? Where did that happen?
2: A place called Dry Falls Lake in Washington, which is a spectacular okay. place because it's the dry falls of the uh, Columbia River uh, when the ice jam broke over in montana and flooded the whole northwest it created these enormous falls but there's still water at the bottom not as much now as it used to be it used to be probably the best trout fishery in Washington state but they got to tinkering with the water supply and now this part of the lake is is gone but yeah i spent a lot of time over there caught a lot of fish
1: (laughs) that's awesome I love that. Um, okay, this next question is why do you fly fish? Why you know, why did you spend decades and decades going out there and flinging a rod around chasing fish?
2: Well, when I was still young fishing up in BC with my my father uh, I saw a fly fisherman and I admired what they were doing. That we were fishing with flies, but my dad didn't know how to cast. And of course, that age i didn't either i wanted more than anything else to learn how to do that and eventually i had to teach myself that i finally got pretty used to casting and uh, (laughs) i guess i guess that was the, the best thing
0: steve did you end up teaching your dad how to cast after you figured out how to cast
2: no unfortunately he passed away at far too young an age so we never had a chance to fish very often together yeah that's tough
1: Mm -hmm. it's good that you had all those mentors though i mean it sounds like you you know obviously were fly fishing with like some of the great fly anglers of you know the pacific northwest for sure that's pretty cool
2: yeah as editor of two fly fishing magazines i also had the opportunity to meet a lot of famous fly fishermen the 20th century uh, I fished once with uh, Lefty Cray. Uh, yeah. Oh, no way. Oh, sure. yeah, he, he was the real thing, I could tell you that. Uh, yeah. I, I knew Arnold Gingrich quite well. Uh, oh, wow. Did, just him. And uh, those two come immediately to mind, but there are quite a few others, too, that I never got to fish with, but often corresponded with.
1: What was it like fishing with Lefty? Like, was that, uh, you know, what was that experience like?
2: Well, as I say, he was the real thing. We fished uh, the Henry's Fork over at Montana oh, cool. or Idaho. Yeah. And just for fun, Lefty cut the hook off of his fly. And Those are very difficult trout on the Henry's Fork. Yeah. With the fileless hook, he rose the same trout on 13 consecutive casts. And oh I've never, gosh, I've never seen cool. anybody do anything like that before or since. Yeah. And of course, he was, yeah, such a fu- he was such a funny guy. It was so much fun to be with. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, lefty, lefty, I've heard lots of stories about Lefty, and he's always he was always that one. I was I wish I got a chance to meet him. He seemed like such a nice fellow. But, uh, yeah, that's cool. You got to fish with him. Uh, okay, the last question of these five questions, Mitchie's Fishies Five, is if you were a fly, what would you be? What fly pattern best represents you and why?
2: I'd be a blue upright.
1: That's a, oh nice I left that in zero hesitation.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't think uh, I've heard of heard anyone say that.
2: Uh, size 16 dry fly uh, that, that's the name it's been used at other flies I think but it's the name I gave a fly that I tied myself uh, to batch the calabatus hatches that are ubiquitous mm-hmm. in so many western lakes. And particularly in uh, yeah. Osborne Lake, as I mentioned, and you know, I caught a lot of big Atlantic salmon on that size sixteen fly when the mayfly hatch was on. Jeez, oh, that's a awesome.
1: Slice, size 16. sixteen blue upright. <laughs> um,
2: why? Why that
1: fly? What? What about that fly? Would make it you.
2: Well, I named one of my books after it too, so I guess right. I just—I guess I just like the name. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great name it's a great fly mm-hmm. that's awesome
1: i love that well steve that's all the questions we have for you man like thank you so much for taking the time to to chat with us about just i mean there's so much we could talk about you know it's uh it's a really incredible fly fishing writing life that you've lived and it was just an honor to get to, to sit and speak
2: well the honor is mine i enjoyed it I uh a few other folks do too Oh, i'm sure they
1: will hopefully i'm sure sh- it's probably if they don't it's because of us so thank you so much <laughs> yeah. steve. that was uh that was great to get to chat and uh yeah we hope you have a have a great day
2: yeah. thanks you guys and uh thank i wish you, you the, the best of fishing awesome thanks, thanks steve
1: Today's show is brought to you in part by Chums. You know, Chums, the company that makes those can't live without them straps that keep your sunglasses on your melon. Believe it or not, Chums has been around for 40 years, making top-notch outdoor accessories for all the guides, river rats, and weekend warriors out there. Chums got their start in southern Utah back in 1983, when a guide on the Colorado River invented their now-famous original cotton eyewear retainer. Chums still makes many of its products in Utah and everything they produce is designed to help you hang on to the gear you value most. Head to chums.com to explore a wide range of products, including wallets, roll top dry bags, waste packs, dry sacks for your phone, and of course, glasses, retainers, and all kinds of wicked styles. Every time we hit the water, Chums is right there with us in the form of amazing gear, which means we never have to worry about our sunglasses or phones sinking to the murky depths of the waters we love to fish. Head to chums.com to check out their full lineup of outdoor accessories that's chums.com best fishing story ever with joe Amaral.
3: about 20 years ago uh we went fishing to the gas bay for atlantic salmon and that particular time um, uh, the gas bay and i think it still exists that way uh, the river is broken up into different zones, and those zones are from one till twelve or thirteen. And one is near the ocean, and twelve or thirteen or fourteen is up near the headwaters. And uh, the way it works is you you know you try and get a, a zone to go in and fish. Well, a lot of times it's limited to rods. And you can only, you know, it depends, you go into a draw, and depends if you can get in or not to those different zones. Well, this particular trip in this year that we went, um, it was very popular. And we had gone, it was early June, and we could not get any of the zones close to the ocean. So when we were at the office, the only zone that was available was for us to get into was Zone 9, which is quite far from the ocean. And that meant that there was no Atlantic salmon, probably at that point, up that high. But, you know, being who we were and what we thought, we thought, well, hey, it's the Gaspé, it's beautiful. We have some nice flies, we have some nice rods, let's go. So we ended up driving all the way up to the top of the York River, which is an amazing river on the Gaspé. The average size of the Atlantic salmon there are quite large. Uh, But we felt that they were probably gonna be down pretty low. On our way up there, uh, Bill, who was the guy I was fishing with at the time, he had spoken to some locals and he, they had told him that up high, probably not going to be a lot of salmon, but you will probably get some brook trout up there. He said there's a lot of local wild brook trout up there. So he said, and they're quite colorful and they could be quite enjoyable. So I thought, hey, you know what? Anything on the swing is, uh, is going to be memorable. So we drove all the way up there. We uh, worked our way up to the very top in Zone 9. We parked in the parking lot. We came out to the first pool. So this particular pool was called Pine Valley. So we got out, we put our gear on, we walked down to the river. Zone 9, we're, Zone 9, Bill and I were saying, we ain't gonna get any salmon. Uh, You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, Wish we would have got zone six, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it's a nice walk down to the river. So we uh, make our way down to the river and we walk out through the trees. We get to the river and it's like, wow, what a view. That's why they call it Pine Valley uh, or Pine Hill, because it, it's an, an incredible view of this hill. So uh, so Bill and I look at each other and I said, you know, you want to go? or I said, you go. So he, I said, you go so he decided to go and he went up to the top of the run. I sat down in a rock, lit a nice cigar up, and I'm watching him come down and we're talking. He's far enough away that we can have a conversation, and I'm lighting uh, lit the cigar and we're talking. And as he's getting closer to me, he says, "Oh," he says, "I just got a little pull, a little tug," and he says, "It must be one of the the brook trout from uh, that people were talking about." It goes, "Oh," I said, "Really, I didn't really think anything of it," so I kept smoking uh, my cigar uh, he takes a few more steps he goes, oh I just got another pull, oh another pull he goes, jeez, these little things I can't keep them off my, my fly and I'm laughing at him, I am go, yeah I go, well why don't you hook one and he says, well I'm going to try, so he casts back out and he gets another pull and then he takes a step and he falls, twists his ankle and he falls uh, he props himself up and he goes, oh why don't you take over and get in Uh, He says, I got to sit down, my leg is killing me. I said, oh, okay. So I stood up and he sat back down. So I walk back into where he was. Um, I I make a cast and uh, I saying, you know, did you really hurt your leg? Is it bleeding? He goes, no, it's not bleeding, it's just really hurt. And I go, oh, I just got one of the little tug from uh, one of those brook trout you were talking about, Garnt, it's like, those things must be tiny. I go, they must be so small. Because I was using a size 12 feather wing, Green Highlander that I had tied myself on a dry line. So it was like a really small feather wing. Uh, And I said, they must be really small. I said, if they can't get their mouth around that hook, they must be tiny fish. Uh, And he goes, I I, I don't know, I don't know. So I make another cast, swings through, and this time, instead of just a little pluck, I feel weight. And it st- stops my conversation with him and I look and it looks like, if you're looking straight downstream, it looks like a whirlpool. And you-, you gotta understand that in your head, you've been thinking small brook trout, nine, eight inches. And now you see like the the river cavitating and about to, to-, to collapse. And I lift the rod, and it was like, holy smokes. I got, Bill, I said, I got I got something huge here. And suddenly he his, His twisted ankle disappeared and he stood up and he, well, he swore. And uh, so we're both shitting our pants, trying to figure out how we're going to land this thing because it immediately takes off a lot of line and it's so big that I couldn't move it. So we sit there on the bank with this fish on and it's not moving anymore because it reached the end of the pool and we're figuring out how we're going to land this thing. So the next 10 minutes, we work it back and forth, work it back and forth. Then I realize I'm not gonna get it any closer, so we, we start walking downstream to get closer to it. Finally we get closer to it, 10 minutes later, this has been like 20 minutes, and I say, Bill, look at the size of that thing. And it was massive, it's like, I haven't seen it, I caught a lot of steelhead, and I caught a lot of salmon, Chinook salmon, but nothing like that. So I, so I said, okay, I'm gonna hold it here, and I said, you gotta tail it. So he walks in to where the fish is, and I'm just, holding it as hard as I can, he grabs it by the tail with both hands and the fish immediately starts to thrash side to side and knocks him over again and he falls in and he lays him and the fish comes off and runs back out about 30 yards and he swears and he says something in Greek and he swears really loud and it's like I say okay I'm gonna get it back so I get it back in again and this time he said listen, he said, I'm going to get my hands on this and I'm going to get this and I'm not going to let it go. So we get it in, he gets both hands around it and he grabs it and he holds it and he says, it's not getting away. So uh, we bring it closer to the shore and and lie there both in front of us and there's this absolute like immaculate silence where you're staring at this thing that just came from the ocean, running away from seals and killer whales with this little tiny, tiny green Highlander in its mouth. And it's like this religious epic moment. And uh, I said, Jesus, Bill, that is just glorious. So, uh, so yeah, so we took a couple of pictures of it. Um, the first thing I remember was putting my hand around the wrist of the fish and then putting my arm under the fish and realizing just how big the fish was. Cause when you put your arm around it, when it falls into the cavity of your arm, you know that because you've caught a lot of large pike, you know that feeling. It's like you you, you say to yourself, my God, this is an enormous fish. So uh, I said, put a tape on it. So he pulled his tape out, It's was 42 inches. So that puts it at about 25 pounds. Uh, yeah, so absolutely amazing. So we let it go. Uh, I looked at the fly, one of the hooks was bent. Um, and then I, I bit the fly off and I put it in my vest and. I just went back and sat down. I don't really know where my cigar was. I think I lost it. Uh, I didn't fish the rest of the day. Uh, it was just an amazing thing to think, to think that a fish that big could make such a gentle thing. So in, in Bill and researching it, we were talking about it. A lot of experienced Atlantic Atlantic salmon fishermen call it a pluck. They don't call it a pull. They call it a pluck. And I understand now clearly why it's called a pluck, because it does feel literally like that. So you're trying to imagine your head a fish that's 42 inches and that large, making such a subtle, gentle movement on your fly that you barely even feel it is just immense and just incredible. And again, the, the respect for that species just grows enormously.
0: I have to. I want to announce that this was left by a fly angler at uh, the Coupe de Tete party. Okay, a red
1: water bottle hydro flask. Yeah. Is that the it's
0: brand? It's a red hydro flask, 20 yeah. ounce.
1: 20 ounce. 20 ounce. Yeah. Okay.
0: Was left at uh, Coupe de Tete um, at our last event. Our uh, lanyard. Okay, so uh, as
1: we wrap up the show here, Yelma's got a hydro flask red that was left at the Coupe de Tete event. If you guys, yeah. anyone listening, if that's your water bottle, you can claim it. Yeah, you got to fight Yelma. Send us an email info <laughs> at sofly.ca. I guess I um, shouldn't have
0: put put it up there because then anybody could claim it. But whatever.
1: Yeah, too late now. I mean, like, <laughs> who wants to claim like someone's <laughs> random water bottle? I mean, it's kinda, mine. It's true. It's mine. You know what I mean, um, well, thank you, Steve, for coming on. I mean, yeah, like, uh, he he's a uh, he's he's I mean, he's just got so much fly fishing history. Like, he's had such a long so much fly fishing life. It's kind of like, where do you start? You know what I mean? Like with uh, the stories and whatnot. Um, the one I thing know. I wanted to dig in a little bit that we didn't get to do is just, I mean, he did talk about it, like, just talk about what the fishing was like uh, when he was younger because, obviously, it would have been amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, he, yeah. did, he did touch on that. Like, he was like, yeah, the fishing was sick. And then he yeah, cut all the trees down and killed all the fish. It's like, oh, right. Yeah. 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 Enjoy. It is a bummer, though, when, when you hear... um, I mean, I get it. Like, it's, yeah, like, the future isn't all that optimistic, eh? Like, when... Uh, when you're looking at what the fishing used to be like i suppose and then you're looking at kind of how we've mismanaged it yeah it's just an interesting perspective someone that's fished for so many years
2: mm-hmm.
1: also yeah. i gotta get you guys uh six fish limit i got it here it's got some cool uh, stores in it i love that Yeah, i was, I was, yeah. I was reading the preview while we were the I, got it it club. My, I got it for my club i
0: got it from my kindle so
1: all good. Oh. Yeah, have a read oh. i got it here too i got to give it a, a full read through and I, um
0: dude i definitely need to get rivers of the heart though how he kind of like ended it is like the best thing he's ever written. Now I got to read the last chapter.
1: Yeah, it was pretty cool. Like talking about yeah. how uh, rivers can affect you emotionally, you know. I like that. It's cool. Mm-hmm. It's very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Very um, smart, what man. about you crazy, uh, crazy lads? Huh? We're in uh, trout season here in Southern Ontario and Ooh. it is looking good. It's warm outside. Boston. You know, Boston. Boston yeah. out there. It's going to be good. Yeah. We're fishing we're tomorrow. Fishing.
0: We're going fishing, baby. Yeah,
1: tomorrow after yeah. work we're going to go fish.
0: What time are you going?
1: I'm probably gonna leave here right around five. Ooh, four. Don't tell work. Um <laughs> and then uh, yeah, just fish into the night, you know, like try to Oh I know hit a hatch, you know what I mean? Yeah. I I feel I'm feeling pretty good. I think there will be hatches. And our good friend Ryan at Coop de Tet is coming with us. I've got him I've Ooh. got his bamboo rod ready to go right here. I'm looking at it. He's um, joining. Yeah. I've also got another bamboo rod up for sale if anyone's listening and wants a bamboo rod. Good price. Beautiful rod made after it's a four-sided rod built by uh joe amiral and it's uh well, modeled why are you after uh me? joe um bought it so ryan bought a rod off of joe and then joe was like hey i got this other rod too it's built it's a modeled after a pain style um bamboo rod and he's like it's a sick rod and see if anybody wants it so hey Did if you're it, you looking for a bamboo rod hit me up well dude I, I want it what the hell you want it yep yeah all right buy well, it. Well, we'll talk after this baby and we'll see if we can strike a okay. deal because eh? i run a t- tough bargain he does yeah i know a why tough know? bargain mitch it's a pretty I would join column.
0: you tomorrow but I've, I'm babysitting but dog sitting uh-huh. dog. Oh. Right. Yeah. yeah. Friend's just dog. What watch
1: him. kind of dog is it? it oh, is like it Havani- is it Jack?
0: It's Jack, yeah. Oh. Wow. So he's, just leave the dog he's inside. The, inside. Jerk. He's a Havanese and uh, he's uh, he's 15 years one. old so I got to just pay close oh, attention. Maybe to just him until him. his dad. Put
1: a little on. life jacket on him and just uh, put a leash and just bob him <laughs> down the river. From
0: my backpack, yeah. He's as big as a fly. <laughs> Bring a little chest harness. Perfect. Like a little. Oh little Maybe she could see him. He's so little. He did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Man,
0: what? So, um, am
1: Sorry to hear that. What's new with you guys? Huh? Right on. <laughs> 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 That's crazy, guys. Wow. Uh, yeah. No, it's uh, the weather's beautiful and trout's kicking off, and I'm getting yeah. very excited. We went out the Only other Trent. day, and it rained. That was the craziest rain oh I've God. been in in a while. Like Those I was actually. Soaked in my rain that, jacket,
0: that was like an air ball for the weather.
3: Yeah,
1: it
0: was crazy. We, were, was like we were like optimistic oh, and we're like,
1: okay, cool, let's go. I do love when the rain gets all misty, moody, and you know, like oh, certain yeah. parts of that yeah. river, just like this is sick.
0: Did you when we were walking out? I don't know if you could see the hills on the left when we were walking, they were all yeah,
1: steamy, yeah, covered in yeah, rolling mist and steam. is so cool, yeah, it was very it sweet. Like. I was so oh my god, it was my first time out this year, and it felt so good to be. To be back out there, yeah. just like oh. didn't my shoot God. up by ants. Yeah, I gotta did get a good bite on my wrist.
0: Yeah, oh, but. whatever. Ophelia was psyched. I mean, she had, yeah. for like for it raining all day. Yeah, and then we went out again yesterday. Yeah,
1: yeah, which was nice too. That's right. You got a fish too. So did Ophelia catch that? No, you caught that fish. No,
0: I caught it. I caught did it. She I, you know, it? yeah, she netted it. Okay, she released it. I was like, you know, I gotta get her on a fish. Yeah. I was, you know, I was just like I set her up in the prime spot, and I was like, "Okay, you're gonna fish right here." And I was like, "Just," I set her up with like a little like small little wooly bugger, yeah, little indicator. And I was like, "Just flick it into like get as close to that tree as you can, yeah, and just keep doing it over and over." She's like to work on her casting, which is great, yeah. And I was like, "I'm just gonna fish around you," uh, and I was like, "I'm just gonna go downstream like <laughs> in yeah. the tail," and I was just like second cast, and it's like, "Oh shit." caught a
1: fish <laughs> yeah
0: you low you low hold, I l- hold my daughter, your daughter and <laughs> caught the fish but i let so all the other pl- i let her fish first through every other spot you know we yeah. tried like we went like woolly bugger we went down to little emergers and Good. then finally got the squirmy worm out
1: Ooh, squirmy time
0: oh man and it was just like it was weird like the water was still high but it's still cold <laughs> it seems like afternoon it kind of like i don't know i'm sure there's something going on in the temperature of the pools that i don't understand like, yeah it's cold
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. The fish turned.
0: I felt, out a I felt good. Yeah. yeah, she was, and, uh, and then we went to we fished the for brookies, but it was still too high. They weren't they weren't eating on the surface. Right. But she was psyched to just like practice kind of uh, overhand casting a bit. Yeah, for sure. And she was she was getting pretty. Uh, yeah, she looked great on the video. Yeah, she's getting some success. Bro. I mean, the, those. So I will say those little kid the kid fiberglass rods are great for dry flies. It's like such a slow action, soft rod. It's really right. That's like the
1: Reddington. What's the name of it?
0: The minnow. Oh, the yeah. minnow.
1: That's such a good mm-hmm. name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that.
0: So she was psyched. And she was like, Dad, was that a good cast? Would a fish have eaten that one? I was like, it definitely would have. If the fish were eating on the surface, 100% it would have eaten it.
1: That's sick. Well, just do that, you know. Oh, this for weekend. sure. And,
0: yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're going, her and I are going to go on Sunday. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and then we're going to, I mean, I'm going to fish tomorrow, probably fish Friday. Fish you Saturday go up to that nice
1: little bricky spot, you know, if there's some nice warmth. bug oh, activity, totally. Maybe a dry yeah, yeah. up there. Could be something. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, it's hard because it's like you know you you you, you're, you want to catch a fish. And it's like put on an indicator, put on a scoring worm, put on some split shot. But it makes it hard for a little kid right. to cast that. Yeah. So. True.
1: Well, you know, I mean, it's uh, it'll all be worth it when uh, when she does catch one, and then yeah, uh, totally. it will ha- blow her mind. You guys getting excited for uh, our little fish trip? Oh, oh, I am very yeah. excited. So we got a little trip coming up. Our first trip of the year. Well, first trip. second, I guess because we second trip although and I went to Miami, but. Um, first trip all of us together and we're going to um you know, northern ontario that's gonna be our next podcast where we're gonna yeah. we're, we're gonna do a throwback to old so fly times and we're gonna um <laughs> smash some rum and some cabin and and record a podcast too late and um and uh have a little time. slightly um have a couple of drinks and see see where the conversation goes happens. me and Yilma will probably get into a fight Hey eh, Yilma? yep yeah probably <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah cage match
0: think? well i mean it it, it, probably not, but okay. <laughs> no, okay. okay, so well. Mitch is going to punch you in the face. It's <laughs> been okay. a little That's
1: bit. A, where's all this violence? A little bit sassy to me today. Omar. Yeah, I was Just not a, sassy a at all. You've text. been a
0: sassy salad all day. We have. I still have a bunch of uh meat and F's. cheese from last weekend. <laughs> Do you? My,
1: yeah. I couldn't that's way too much meat and cheese to eat we did have a little uh little cocktail party and uh, I just brought over a whole bunch of uh cheese boutique I saw uh, I would have came if like, I was there, there. What if woods and t- butts we if texted wood. you guys, I texted I, you, I said know. where are you and you know what you did you didn't respond yeah. I
0: texted you and him at the same time you mm-hmm. I at the same time saying mm-hmm. hi, Steph. hi Steph hi Steph hi Steph Oh, she can't hear us <laughs> uh well, saying I was painting my parents house uh-huh hi Steph well we know where your priorities lie I guess I guess this, um, is a, this will be the first trip we've done together, like all four of us, in, in a long time. quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And, uh, it's going to be fun. Lo- I'm so looking forward to it. Really? Was that a sarcastic <laughs> eye roll? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'd be sick.
1: So we're going to Elk Lake uh, Wilderness Resort, which is a place we have always loved going to, and it's got um, some new owners there now, so we're going to go meet them and... And we're gonna take some uh, ATVs into the backwoods, and we're gonna go have a fishing adventure. And it's going to be sick. That sounds amazing. Don't forget,
0: don't forget your bug jackets. <laughs> That's true.
1: Thanks, Yelma. Don't forget those bug jackets. And we're going to, yeah, ATVs. We got uh, from the, an ATV rental town there, um, which we'll talk about on the podcast next podcast. Um, it's gonna be sick. Are you kidding we're gonna me? get some beefy pike, some brookies. Yeah. Yelma, are you excited to ride and drive an ATV? Yeah. I mean, I've done it. Oh, that was loud.
0: Yeah. I've done it a uh, couple of times and excited so to get back on that
1: horse, so to speak. Didn't you fall off one in Qatar? I did. That's the last time you rode one, right?
0: No. Second, first time. That was the first time. Okay. Last so, time. You, okay so it didn't scare you Yeah. Well. I've, I've gotten better since this. Yes. What, what <laughs> was was the was other one? time you rode it, you got better. Well, cause yeah. I was, I, I jumped off a, a, we were on the dunes, the sand dunes in Qatar and I right. didn't do some jumps. I didn't see that. Well, yeah. Cause it was basically I. I flew off a dune, like the top
1: yeah. of one that's we know wild. how dunes work that's yeah. wild you just launched yourself With yeah such. i launched myself did you do yeah. a flip like yeah. that scene in a pulling dynamite yeah where the yeah, grandma pretty much. she's yeah. like wow yeah. she launches off the thing yeah well exactly. let's hope let's watch it the let's let's other go day for
0: a repeat i guess
1: it's gonna be fun it's gonna be fun we got a it's side by fun. side as well i mean like we're yeah. uh, we're ready we're gonna go into the deep woods and, and record some videos so yeah and the podcast too so that's the next podcast become men get ready we're going to um, become men in the woods. Yeah, it's going to be and fun. And the second time
0: was in Greece with Yana.
1: Wow. Oh, cool. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah you, rode, crazy. you rode ATVs in
0: Greece. Yeah. Wow. And that was, you didn't do a flip that time. You didn't fall that time. N- no, I didn't fall that time. Okay, so you're like, cool. you're 50-50. You're 50-50. 50/50. Let's, yeah. 50/50. Let's try 50/50. to get that up a little bit. <laughs> man, this trip. No injuries, huh? Because
1: uh, that would not be good. We're going to be deep in the Ontario wilderness. Just put me on the side-by-side and I, it would be okay.
0: N- no, it's a
1: camera <laughs> car camera car baby oh right, right come on now we're gonna race we're gonna race on the atvs Whee! oh you know we are i drove my uh, motorcycle today anyway that's not uh that's not this podcast It's a different podcast that's your motorcycle podcast that's, moto. that's so moto um <laughs> so yeah we got that elk lake trip coming up and that's gonna be fun and uh trout season is here and um i don't know what else Ilma, you got anything you want to talk about yeah
0: Shelley and i are going uh going for pike on oh. uh at the end of the month that's fun. Um, so you go fishing yeah. with Shelly, but you will not go fishing with us. True. Remember how Aldo earlier said all those, those said actions speak you louder than words. Two need to stop <laughs> because I've been helping renovate my parents' house for the last month and a half. Okay, How's why? that going? Been out. Why are you helping? It's good. To do it's that. almost done. I got one more room to paint, and oh. and they're going to list it. And Bob's your uncle. Bob's just your uncle. Just don't do that. Or, or as, fishing instead. It's fun. As uh. <laughs> Um, anyways, so yeah, so i to renovate their own house. Oh,
1: I don't come know on. what is it? What is a, <laughs> uh, they're too sweet to be doing this. They've got, they're too, they're too sweet. I've never they're met so, them either, but so I'd nice. love to. And, um, I them. always see your mom, your mom's <laughs> comments, Gail on, uh, yeah. the SoFly Instagram. They're awesome. So if you're listening to this and you want to see amazing comments from, Yelma's mom, Yelma's mom about how awesome Yoma is. Go to our Instagram and just look <laughs> at all the photos of Yoma. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> There's a lot. Of your them. mom's awesome. Um, and your dad. Mom. Your dad's got a book coming out too, right?
0: He does. Yeah, my there dad's got go. a book coming out. Uh, five essays about Trinidad and uh, cool. yeah, it's awesome. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, you're gonna go fishing with Shelley for pike. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Pike yeah. season's looking pretty good. I mean, I've been seeing it Jordan. Uh, um, Even Ada.
0: Ada and and Matt and Aldo
1: yeah yeah was, yeah. It was it was guys. Pike. everybody's been having a good little pike time down here pike pooped around. on my camera right yeah <laughs> what was that again oh it was just
0: a pike pooped all over my camera
1: <laughs> oh no and then oh. you threw back in the water and it swam off yep It's probably like yeah freaked out that happened to me in Estangami with a walleye and I it's I dropped everywhere. it into the back of the water I think we were planning on keeping fish but it saved itself I was like no you're, you're good yeah. to go baby life
0: lesson is, is when you're in trouble
1: just, just poo everywhere let it g- let rip yeah. yep let it rip Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. Okay. On that um, note. On that note. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to plug? Fifty one eighty five. Oh, yo, good idea, Yelma. Wow. Oh. Um, yes, fifty one eighty five. The first Ontario Fly Fishing Film Festival is here, and uh, essentially what that means is you can. Uh, hold on, I'm just going to the website to pull up some of the details. But yeah, basically, I didn't, publi- I didn't publish it, Mitch, but it's saved. Okay. Basically what we're doing here, okay, we thought it'd be really cool if we did a fly fishing film festival that was just based on films that are filmed right here in the province of Ontario. Um, what we're looking for is films three to ten minutes in length. You don't have to be some crazy filmmaker. You don't have to have $50,000 of camera gear. You can shoot it on your phone if you want. As long as the quality is is still high resolution, everything is good. Um, the films have to be shot here in Ontario. Uh, they have to obviously be about fly fishing. And they can feature local ventures or just you know trips to more local, remote prop. Locations in the province. We're open to everything. Um, like I said, three to 10 minutes in length. We're accepting submissions starting now, well, May 5th, all the way until January 1st, 2024, because we're going to do official selections by the end of next January. And then we're going to put this epic fly fishing Ontario Film Festival on in um, a location TBD, but it's going to be at a sick theater in February of next year. So if you're in Hamilton or you're in Hearst, if you want to catch Brookies or you want to chase Bofin, doesn't matter. Go explore Ontario, make a film about it, three to ten minutes in length, and submit it to us because we're, uh, we're putting together the 5185 Fly Fishing Film Festival. 5185, of course, are coordinates to pretty much the center of the province. So uh, we thought it was kind of a cool name. So yeah. there you go. Go do it. Yeah. Go we'll make I mean, a, we'll I think make it's a film. Be, I think it's going to be super cool. Um, go do it right now. I'm just excited to see if you know people actually do this and submit. If, if they submit, we'll put on a film fest. If they don't, we won't. But hopefully they do. Because it'd be cool, yep. oh, and yeah. Ontario's sure. got a lot of cool stories to tell, and um, yep. yeah, of course we've got all the rules and 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 all the kind of submission details and everything else on our website, um, so you can go find it there. It'd be under the events page. Um, so yeah, go check that out and uh, go make movies. Please make a cool film and do um, it. Yeah, go we'll now. See. We'll, we'll see what you do. also, of course, for the winners there's going to be prizes, and the prizes are going to be dope. We don't know what they are yet, but they're going to be sick. We're putting like. Almost a year of effort into procuring some dope prizes, so the winners will get something. Probably fishing related. Yeah, they're going to be really (laughs) sick. Maybe, maybe something crazy. Like maybe Maybe like, hey Ford, if you're listening, like donate a truck and we'll give it to the winner. You know, some some
0: some shingles for a roof. Maybe there's something crazy. Or Some Nikon glass.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Some nice little uh, like lenses. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. What
0: are you talking about? Like sunglasses?
1: No man, glass, bro. That's what cool people say about
0: lenses. That's
1: Bro. cool, man. Uh, um, <laughs> Steve Raymond, thank you so much for coming on the show again. That was uh, really a pleasure getting to chat with you and, and hear just a sliver of your fly fishing life and, and some of your writing life. Yeah. Um, go mm-hmm. check out his books, links that's in the show notes. Cool. Of course, you can find all his books on Google. So just Google Steve Raymond fly fishing. You'll find all of his books. Um, yeah, they're all over the place. Uh, Amazon, Kindle, whatever. They're they're out there and they're ready for you to read. Uh, that's it for me, Mitch. yeah Yeah. That's it. That's all. Yelda.
0: Bye, Missy Aldo.
1: Thanks everybody for listening, and uh, see you <laughs> later. And uh, yeah, Missy Aldo, uh, we'll see you on the next show, I guess. <sighs> all right, all right bye. bye. You can find all of our content at sofly.ca. Reach out via email by sending your questions or comments to info at SoFly.ca. Find us on Instagram at the SoFly Crew. Thanks for listening.